0: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Boyd were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: This is VEASAN's College Basketball Betting Podcast. Here is your host, Tim Murray.
3: Welcome in, everyone. Another edition of the College Basketball Betting Podcast. Riding alongside Adam Burke, you can follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. I am Tim Murray. And uh, if you haven't done so by now, please uh, rate, review. Most importantly, subscribe and and tell a friend. Uh, I know we're just uh, getting these out. Week number two of the College Basketball Betting Podcast. And obviously, we'll be taking you all the way through the NCAA tournament. We have hit record about 10, 15 minutes after Kansas and TCU concluded in Fort Worth, Texas. Adam, uh, I had TCU in this game. Um, you know, I think you can look at it two ways, right? You can look at it as TCU missed opportunity, which is the way I'm going to look at it. 15 of 48 from inside the arc, majority of those at the rim. Um, but you could also look at it as Kansas found a way to win on the road, avoided getting swept by TCU, which I believe bill self has only been swept in the regular season twice since he's gotten to Kansas played really well defensively and Jalen Wilson was basically a non-factor only seven points three of 11 from uh from the field and and Kansas shot just three of 16 from three so uh, to me uh, a missed opportunity for TCU uh when you have Kansas on your home floor and you you know hold Jalen Wilson basically to nothing but you know, this is uh this is a tough one to swallow, but uh, I'll give Kansas credit. I thought they played really well at the rim and they forced TCU to shoot threes, and uh they were just not able to uh to take advantage and and down the down the stretch, I thought absolutely terrible execution by TCU. Some of their plays uh just just really poor. So I think that's a tough one for TCU to swallow. And uh credit to Kansas now 14 quad one victories. Yeah, there are a lot of different ways you can unpackage and and sort of look at this game,
2: and you know, look, I mean, twenty seven offensive rebounds combined between the two teams, and only one hundred and twenty one points. So it was not pretty.
3: <laughs> it no, was it was not definitely pretty. not
2: pretty. And look, I mean, I, I think there are a few ways to look at this. One of them being, I mean, the Big Twelve is just really good. I don't, I wouldn't want to face any of these teams in the NCAA tournament, especially when you look at the SEC being down the way that it is. Um, you know, the ACC is not terribly strong this season either the big 10 is down quite substantially um you know the, it looks like the big 12 is going to you know be a very difficult conference to face come NCAA tournament time and you know look I mean TCU is a team that gets to the rim a lot they didn't finish tonight it is what it is but you know they also left eight points out there at the free throw line they still only had seven turnovers so it was just one of those nights where you know there was a uh the rim was covered. You know, like you we go to Dix as a kid and they got that plastic cover over the <laughs> rim. So you can't put a bunch of basketballs up in there. That's kind of what this game was like down in Fort Worth. But you know, I, I don't think that there's really any big referendum about either one of these teams other than to say that the Big 12 is in very good shape for the NCAA tournament.
3: I mean, it's wild to look at TCU. And we talked about it uh, on Thursday's podcast, talking about some futures and you saw some shops circa in particular really adjust really quickly to the performance that TCU had on Saturday against Oklahoma State where they put up 100 points and i went back and looked at the box score in that one they they went uh 74% from inside the arc and it was uh, it was pretty impressive so they in that game they shot 31 of 42 from two and here tonight they uh, as I mentioned 15 of 48 from two um TCU I, I did add them uh 40 to one uh, this weekend into uh into a futures through a little future play on them but do you believe Adam and I want to get to something that Seth Greenberg actually said on follow the money with me, uh, earlier on Monday in just a moment, but do you believe that TCU from what you've seen and now Mike miles returning, uh, this team being full strength for now? Um, do you think this team could make a deep run? Eddie Lampkin, obviously still, uh, still a bit nicked up there, their big boy down low.
2: Yeah, I certainly think this team can make a run. I mean, you know, like we talked about last week, it's kind of tough for me to jump into the futures market now because I want to see the draws that these teams end mm-hmm. up with. But, you know, I mean, TCU defends the three extremely well. They don't shoot it well. So it's a good thing that they defend the three well. They've got a top 20 ish turnover percentage, you know, top 25 certainly on defense. They are pretty good on the offensive glass. You know, this is a team that does a lot of things well. They get to the rim. They get high percentage looks. Again, they didn't convert them in this game against Kansas. But generally speaking, they've done very well converting them at the rim. They came into this game shooting 64% on close twos and having a big shot share there uh, as well. So there's a lot of things to like about this TCU team. And look, I mean, the reality of it is almost every game in the Big 12 is a quadrant one or at least a high quadrant two game so you know yeah you're gonna have some losses you're gonna have some difficulties but you're not gonna run into that too much in the NCAA tournament so I think TCU is absolutely a team that checks a lot of different boxes here but of course again it depends on you know the draw that they end up with if they play a team that takes really good care of the basketball and shoots extremely well from three that may be a tough matchup for them, but we'll have to wait and see what selection Sunday brings.
3: Yeah. And to put it in perspective, Kansas, 14 quad one wins. The next best is Purdue with nine. And uh, the alternate of that is uh, North Carolina, 0 and 9 in quad one opportunities uh, as they lost on Sunday to NC State. And the preseason number one team is in a lot of trouble when you look at the field of 68 and if uh, they're going to be able to make it in there. So, um, Seth Greenberg uh, was on Follow the Money with me on Monday morning, and I thought he had a little interesting perspective on this. You know, obviously he was heaping the praises of the Big Twelve and how tough it is. He said he loves watching it. However, the 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 question he posed Adam was, he's a bit worried about the style of play in the Big Twelve and how the refs are going to call these teams in, in the NCAA tournament, these teams are incredibly physical. I mean, if you watch Kansas TCU tonight, that was just, that was an incredibly physical game. Bodies are flying everywhere and it really wasn't a whistle fest. I mean, the big 12 refs for the most part, let them play and and know that these teams are physical. So that was one thing that Seth Greenberg kind of brought up as, as a possibility of a, of a worry for some of these big 12 teams to make a run is that the physicality that they play with day in and day out in the big 12, those might lead to quicker whistles, especially in the first four rounds before you get to the final four, where they might loosen up the whistles a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a fair complaint. Again,
2: it's obviously something
3: that's kind of
2: hard to figure out this far in advance, but certainly something where, you know, if you get used to a physical style of play and it is a physical style of play in that conference, you know, and you get to facing teams where you've got refs from all over the country, stuff like that, it's definitely a concern. I mean, look, you know, offensive free throw rate in terms of free throws versus shot attempts, the big 12 is tied for third, you know, so these teams do get to the line a fair amount. There are a fair amount of whistles in the conference, but you know, that's going to be something that'll be really interesting to see, and, and maybe we get a feel for it early on in the tournament, where you know these Big Twelve teams are in big favorite roles, and they're going to be able to push teams around. How is it called when they're playing the three fourteen game, or you know playing the three six game in the second round, something like that? You know, then how is it going to be approached? That's just something where we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. You know, I, I remember talking last year. About liking the prospects of the SEC in the NCAA tournament because there are so many teams that play so many different styles. You've got teams that play slow, teams that play fast, teams that chuck from three. You've kind of seen it all. Well, to, that worked to some degree. To another degree, it didn't work. So that's you know a, an interesting speculation. I think about the Big Twelve and something that you know, as I said, I mean, we'll just let we'll the wait and see what the draw looks like too. I mean, will they play other physical teams, and how will the will those games be? 35 free throw attempts for each side. It's definitely well, going to be something that I think you factor in, especially from
3: a total standpoint, once we get to the tournament. Well, if TCU shot like they shot on Monday night in the NCAA tournament, they could be in a lot of trouble as they struggled uh, from the free throw line. So a uh, good win for Kansas, Bill Self and company avoid a season sweep. Remember they lost at Fog Allen by 23 earlier this season and uh, TCU now one and one with the uh, return of, of Mike miles uh, 30 to one or so you can find right now in the futures market. All right, let's turn our attention to Tuesday. Uh, We'll run through a car that's pretty loaded and um, you know, we'll kind of go in, in chronological order here, Xavier hosting Villanova. uh, Xavier is a six, five and a half, six point favorite in this spot. Um, You know, Villanova uh, I backed them on Saturday, uh, it was a good Saturday, um, but uh, the the only real uh, speed bump that I had was uh, was Xavier. Or excuse me, was Villanova against Providence? Back and forth a little bit. Providence ultimately pulled away. I thought it might be a a bit of a letdown for Providence. Maybe they'd run out of gas after their double overtime win. But uh, credit the Friars as they were able to get it done. Um, I, I just don't know with this Villanova team. Is this Villanova team with Justin Moore back going to find its footing? Uh, I believe this is the th- this that was the third or fourth game back for Justin Moore Um, you know I there's part of me that wants to take the points here uh, with Villanova uh, you know on the road at Xavier Uh, obviously Xavier's uh, still dealing with the the loss of Fremantle Um, but haven't got to the window on this one anything you see Villanova catching seven uh, excuse me six or five and a half depending on uh, where you look right now uh, against Xavier yeah, I think the
2: first important point to talk about here is, and sometimes it can be really hard to find injury information in the small conferences. That's not the case in the Big East, where it's kind of the sixth power conference, so to speak. Um, the injuries are very significant here in this game, both more coming back and then also Fremantle being out. In the first meeting, Fremantle had 29 points and 11 rebounds, and Xavier won 88 And when you look at you know Bart Torvik, for example, for this game, He's got it more like Xavier minus 10. Haslametrics has it Xavier minus eight pretty much. But obviously you see the market number being lower. And in fact, maybe some initial interest in Villanova in this game. So it's important when you're kind of going through and looking at these sources of college basketball information to understand that you know the full body of work that we've seen to date kind of assumes everybody's healthy with these projections. But that's not the case when you talk about you know, Xavier missing Fremantle, and then Villanova getting more back after not having him for a decent portion of the season. So those are things you want to take a look at here so that you're not you know, looking at these and going, well, it says Xavier minus 10. Why wouldn't I bet Xavier minus 5.5? Do a deeper dive and find out what's going on with the rosters. I think that's the first important point to make about this game. And the second is, I mean, Villanova is – are they you know, kind of getting it together a little bit, maybe,
3: or it's what it's I just thought, but it, 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 that, look, I watched the whole Providence game, um, and, and there were flashes, right? And, and ultimately, Providence. There were some fouling late, and Providence able to pull away. Um, you know, to me, it, and I believe the number closed three and a half Villanova at Providence. So Villanova was catching three and a half at Providence. Xavier's laying six here. So I mean, that's a two and a half point difference. You know, to me. Um, you know, it would be Villanova or pass for, for if anything here in this spot. You know, with uh, and, and and I'm a believer. And actually, the sixes are gone. It opened six at circa that got scooped up right away. So you're looking at five and a halfs. I mean, I, I could certainly talk myself into Villanova. I want to back this Villanova team just with Justin Moore back, but you know, you're looking at a first year coach, and uh, they're 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 having their 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 hiccups for sure. Yeah,
2: definitely. And I mean, they're a terrible offensive rebounding team, so if they don't make a shot, they're one and done. They're 328th in the country, at least going into Monday night, in offensive rebounding percentage, and Xavier's a good defensive team. They're a good rebounding team overall, so that's a problem for Villanova. You know, this isn't the same shooting Wildcats that we've seen over the last few years. They're only shooting 33% from three. Now, more probably going to help that a little bit, even though he's only around 25% here so far since coming back, but You know, that's the thing about Villanova is they're pretty reliant on the three. They have the sixth highest three point rate in the country and they're not shooting them at a high percentage. So that's the thing you worry about with Villanova. But again, maybe that's something that more kind of being a leader for this team can
3: help them figure out. All right. a a game that uh, has intrigue for me and I know you're going to roll your eyes, but it does fit the. uh the old unranked favorite versus ranked situation, which is now 29 and 13 against the spread. Uh, Virginia techs lay in two against Miami. Miami's hot, man. Um, you know, you were right last week. I was off, you know, I, 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 underestimated both Miami and and maybe gave too much love to North Carolina who just might flat out stink. Um, as Miami went into the Dean Dome, and it's a six-point underdog and and ended up winning by eight. So uh, that was a really impressive performance from Jim Laranega's bunch, and they bounced back uh, with a win and cover against Wake Forest. So this is a team that, you know, outside of a, an eight-point win over Louisville, I believe they're five-and-one ATS over the last six. And, you know, I'm curious your thoughts. We talked about this on on Thursday's pod with Matt, revenge in conference play and this is a revenge spot for Virginia Tech taking on Miami. Uh, Miami came back, beat uh, Virginia Tech back on January 31st down in uh, Coral Gables, 92 to 83. This is a Miami team that can light it up, man. Uh, they're really impressive. And you know, for Virginia Tech, uh, that was a very popular dog on Saturday in Pit laying or catching five, five and a half. I was on the Hokies, and I, I pretty pretty impressive performance from virginia tech i think both these teams are incredibly well coached i'm a big mike young fan uh and uh i'm a big jim laranaga fan so uh i don't really give an edge one way or the other it just it does feel like in blacksburg at castle coliseum this is uh this is a, a pretty you know outside of that ugly loss to boston college which you can consider a letdown after beating virginia i do feel like Going to castles is a tricky spot. Uh, to me, I, I'm looking a little bit of Virginia Tech on the money line here, uh, but you know, I, I faded Miami last week and, and got burned, so that's uh, that's certainly sticking in the back of my mind.
2: Well, to be fair, I mean, North Carolina was five of 31 from three in that game, so major outlier. I mean, nobody really shoots that bad, so that was just kind of a major outlier for the Tar Heels in that game last week. But something I think is kind of interesting is in terms of Miami. They've kind of been penalized a little bit on the road because they had that loss to Georgia Tech early on. They couldn't finish off North Carolina State, lost that game in overtime, lost by two to Duke. All of this in a 17-day stretch, and I think that they kind of got this perception out there in the market that they just couldn't win on the road. Well, now they've won back-to-back road games. They beat Clemson and that win over North Carolina last week. They had a blowout win over Florida State on the road back on January 24th, And when you look at their body of work on the road, the results aren't spectacular. They're only six and four in true road games, but their stat profile looks pretty good. So I think that was part of what happened last week in that line against North Carolina was just people kind of looking with some skepticism at Miami on the road. This is a top-10 team in offensive efficiency. They get to the rim and they convert at a high rate. They shoot the three at almost 37%. There's a lot to like about this team. And the thing about Virginia Tech is, you know, they're a good offensive team too. They just haven't had the breaks in close games. I mean, this is a team that's seven and seven in close games, but, you know, they had a stretch where they lost a bunch of them in a row. They've kind of leveled off a little bit now. I understand, you know, where you're coming from with the trend. I understand it's been very profitable and it's something that the books are accounting for at this point and it's still coming through. I don't think I'm going to have a play on this one, but. I do think that Miami is a team I'm starting to get pretty excited about from an NCAA tournament standpoint, just because they're really, really efficient offensively.
3: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a fair argument, and you know, looking at Miami, I just have DraftKings up right now, thirteen to one to make the final four uh, to win the national championship. Miami at fifty five to one, and you know, they're a team that that doesn't defend all that well, but uh, as you mentioned, they're terrific offensively. You know, 6 in the country in offensive efficiency, adjusted offensive efficiency 123rd in defense. So, uh big spot. Yeah, they've won 6 in a row. Um, you know, b- both these teams have an ugly loss to Georgia Tech on the road uh and uh, Virginia Tech. I thought, you know, everybody was just kind of looking at, oh, Virginia Tech just lost to Georgia Tech and everyone was, you know, pointing out Pittsburgh's strengths as uh, you know, against the spread. I, I I like the spot for Virginia Tech on the weekend. We'll see if uh, it continues here uh, on uh, on Tuesday. Like I said, Tuesday's a loaded, loaded slate. Baylor going to Kansas State, uh, top 15 matchup at time of record, consensus line, Baylor minus two. Uh, the tale of two halves for Baylor, Adam, over the weekend. They're up 45-32 at halftime against Kansas and they lose by 16. So if you had a Baylor, uh, what was it, plus 5, 6 ticket, uh, that uh, that was a tough one uh, to swallow as they were outscored 55 to 26 in the second half. And then uh, Jerome Tank squad, uh, really nice bounce back spot. Uh, I had the Purple Cats over the weekend. Uh, wasn't pretty initially, but to ultimately get home here. So uh, Kansas State at home hosting Baylor, um, you know, mentioned uh, revenge spots. Uh, Baylor did uh, or excuse me Kansas State got the best of Baylor in Waco back on January 7th I, I don't have a play on this one uh, but uh, curious if you have any thoughts on this top 15 showdown yeah 97-95 in the first
2: game so definitely a thriller there um you know I, I don't think I'm going to release it in the article in the morning but I do kind of like Kansas State a little bit I think Kansas State may be a good second half play or a live betting play here I'm not a Big Scott Drew guy, you know, and I think that that doesn't really surprise too many people. If you've been a college basketball fan for a long time, I know they got over the hump finally, but I think Jerome, the job that Jerome Tang is doing with Kansas State has been very, very impressive so far this season. You know, they were trailing by eight at the break against Iowa State, and that game flipped in a hurry in the second half. I think this one could go the same way. Kansas State gets to the rim at a much higher rate than Baylor does, which is pretty interesting, although Baylor is really stingy about letting teams get to the rim. So the first game was kind of interesting in that regard. Baylor was 9 of 9 at the rim. Kansas State 12 of 16. The big difference is Baylor was at the free throw line 38 times, and they still lost the game. So I think Kansas state would be the side I would look at here, but you know, the one thing about me and my handicapping style is I think a lot of these marquee games are just lined very tightly. So I mm-hmm. try to look down the board at other conferences for value.
3: Yeah. We'll uh, we'll get to your match games here that, uh, that intrigue <laughs> you uh, as well. Uh, Texas A and M uh, kudos to buzz Williams squad. Uh, that was a really impressive win. Um, I, I, I had my list of games I wanted to bet on Saturday. And and sometimes you leave off games that hit and you get so frustrated. This was actually a game I left off and I would have been wrong because I, I actually liked Missouri here in this spot. And Texas A&M uh, was able to get it done. I did play uh, Big Blue Nation in uh, what was uh, was a spot that, well, I guess it burned me today. Uh, I went against a revenge spot. Uh, tonight and it didn't work out. I went against a revenge spot last week with uh, Loyola Marymount and Gonzaga and Gonzaga, I think is still scoring uh, in that game. So that was uh, not great, but you know, Tennessee's a team we talked about in the first podcast. I'm not a believer in Tennessee. Um, You know, I know the numbers love them. Uh, I think they're, you know, top five in the net, top five in Ken Palm. Um, The defense is great, but you know, we talked about it. I mean, the offense has a lot of struggles, I mean, 19 points in the first half here. So, uh, they go on the road to College Station. Um, you know Ken Palm has Texas A&M as A and M as a one point underdog, but the market actually has Texas A and M as a slight favorite here, one one and a half. Um, you know this is a bounce back spot in theory for Tennessee coming off the loss to Kentucky, uh, but look this is an Alabama in a bounce back spot where uh, their last two losses. I think they've, uh, what, won 101-44 against Vanderbilt and then 108-59 against Georgia. So uh, I, I don't see Tennessee doing uh, an Alabama situation here. I've been impressed by what Buzz Williams and his uh, his squad have done here uh, late in the season. I mean, this is a team now, Adam, they're 12-2 and in the SEC. I mean, they are the second best team in the SEC right now only one game behind Alabama. They're three games clear of Tennessee. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting is if you look at
2: you know somebody like Lenardi in terms of the bracketology, Texas AM is only a nine seed because early in the year, I mean, they started six and five. They lost to Murray State and Colorado on a neutral. Got uh, they got killed by, by Colorado. They got crushed by Colorado. They lost to Wofford, who's... Really at home. not that good this year. Yeah, at home. They lost on a neutral by 15 to Boise State. Boise State's a good team, but that's a really bad loss. But then here they are in SEC play. And, and to be fair, I mean, they've won their close games. That's definitely mm-hmm. been beneficial for them. But this is an interesting game in so many ways. Again, I handicap a lot looking at shot selection. Texas A&M forces you to take a lot of threes. Their three-point rate against 45.3%. Tennessee shoots a lot of threes. And it's why I'm worried about them in the NCAA tournament along with Rick Barnes, but they shoot for, they shoot a three 40% of the time and they're only shooting 32% on them. So this is a really, really intriguing game where I'm kind of pulling for Texas a and I think, but at the same time, like you can find Texas a and I think I saw DraftKings had 150 to one over the weekend on them. Like I get, they might be an eight or nine seed, but this is a dangerous team because of the style they play. So, Really, really interesting game here where I don't think I'll have a play, but I'll be following along with it pretty closely. The one game I am interested in for the SEC tomorrow, I know you like to look at spot plays a lot. Mm -hmm. Mississippi State and Missouri is really intriguing because Mississippi State, I had them on Saturday laying three and a half against Ole Miss, needed overtime. They won by eight. They didn't play very well in that game at all, but they came away with the overtime win on the heels of losing at home to Kentucky. Missouri in a bit of a bounce back spot themselves off of just losing to Texas A&M and getting completely throttled by Auburn the game before that that's a sneaky little game where I think Missouri's probably the side in that one so that's one I may kind of take an extra look at in the morning and in fact we've already seen that line swing towards the Missouri Tigers
3: Uh, one last note I want to go back and you know so many of us and, and look I go to Ken Palm and Bart Torvik and Haslam, all of these advanced numbers we talked about in our first podcast, Adam. It's so many useful uh, resources out there. And, and Ken Palm has is, is kind of become the, the gospel, so to speak. And you look at Texas A&M, as you alluded to, and they've got some really, really ugly losses. And they're top 30 in Ken Palm right now. It's sitting at 29. But if you go to Bart Torvik, so they started SEC play in the new year, right? And they're 12 and 2 if you go to Bart Torvik and filter it from the start of the new year, Texas A&M is the second best team in the country. I mean, that's saying something right there. They're 12th in adjusted offensive efficiency, 7th in adjusted defensive efficiency since the new year. So 14 conference games, Texas Tech is 12-2 and two in those games, and they're the fourth best team, or excuse me, second best team in the country. So, you know... I don't like going against um, kind of uh, teams coming off of big losses like Tennessee, obviously coming off the loss, you know, on the road at Rupp. And obviously last week I was, I backed, you know, Rocky top uh, on the road or excuse me at home. But I, I, I could see myself getting behind the Aggies here. Haven't gotten to the window yet, but I mean, that's a team that uh, that was an impressive win that they had. Uh, over the weekend you know against Missouri on the road so uh, that's a that's a team that's uh that's pretty hot right now uh another game that uh, I think people are gonna look at and say the line is is pretty high and i'm I'm one of them um uh, but uh you know sometimes those those lines are are telling you the story creighton and Marquette um mostly five and a halfs at time of record there's one six out there at circa uh in favor of the blue jays uh Marquette is uh Got a had a week off here, so that they're they're gonna be well rested going into this road game at Creighton. And Marquette is sitting there twenty one and six in the country, top ten. Uh, last time we saw them play, uh, they snuck out a victory against Xavier at home. Didn't get the cover. Got a tip in at the buzzer. Their last two road games, Georgetown, whatever, UConn, they got smashed. But that might have been a, a situation where UConn just played uh, their best basketball. This number Adam is is kind of spooking me why, why is it so high um because I, I love back in shock as smart as a dog but sometimes these situations where the line is is kind of telling you a little bit of a story I'm starting to get a little spooked off uh, by Creighton uh, has been playing really really good basketball speaking of you know that stretch since the new year Texas A m is two Creighton is five since the new year according to Bart Torvik. Yeah, I mean, Creighton's only two losses
2: on the road at Xavier and on the road at UConn. So, or no, those are Marquette's two losses, sorry. Um, Creighton is a team that you know a lot of people really loved coming into the season, understandably so. And by the way, these two teams played on December 16th. Don't even think about using that game in your handicap because Ryan Kalkbrenner didn't play for Creighton. And they're a vastly different team with him on the floor. A few things I think are important to look at for this game here. The first is... Yo, Marquette and Shaka Smart, you know, they play that Havoc kind of defense. They force a lot of turnovers. They try to take the ball away. Creighton is very responsible with the basketball. You know, their turnover percentage on offense is under 17%. So Marquette probably not going to get as many extra possessions in this game as they normally would. And the second thing is that, you know, when you look at Marquette, so efficient, so good offensively on twos. But Creighton is a top 20 defense in two-point percentage. So this is a situation here where that line probably does look a little bit high, but Creighton is the better defensive team. They're not hurt as much by what Marquette does well on defense, which is take the ball away. And then also, you know, Creighton can defend the interior, which is where Marquette wants to try and shoot from. So I think this is one where as big as this line is, you start kind of piecing this handicap together And it makes sense. The one thing I think I kind of like maybe a little bit in this game is over 148.5, just because I feel like these two teams are going to be able to go shot for shot if they really, really want to. And maybe this game plays it a little bit quicker of a tempo. Again, keep in mind, the first game was 127, but Kalkbrenner didn't play. So you know that definitely changed
3: the outlook for that one for sure. So a couple other uh, top 25 matchups, or one other top 25 matchup, Iowa State and Texas. Um, we'll get to that here in just a moment. Um, but we do have another situation. Uh, Michigan State lay in three against Indiana. Indiana, the ranked team. Michigan State, the unranked team. This is also a revenge spot. Uh, Indiana really put it to Michigan State back in uh, in January. Uh, they won 82-69 to 69 in that one. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis went for thirty-one and fifteen in that in that victory. Uh, you see that a, a lot. Shafino uh, didn't really do anything in that game, so maybe that makes you a, a little bit nervous here. But uh, to me, you know, outside of the trend that we've talked about, you know, Michigan State being at home, uh, this will be their first game at home since the the tragedy on campus last week. Um, you know, I was curious how they would play over the weekend against Michigan, uh, on the road there. Um, and, uh, ultimately Michigan state, you know, let it the half. And then, uh, Michigan was able to pull away late in that game. It's gonna be an emotional environment. And, and secondly, Michigan state, you know, they really, they, they really need to start getting some wins together here. Uh, do the, do the Spartans, you know, looking at, you know, your latest. Bracketologies they're they're sitting at an eight seed. Um, you know, 16 and 10, they could really use a nice win here, uh, at home. I, I like the Spartans here. I, I think that number's kind of telling you something. I know, uh, you know, like you said, they might be paying a little bit of a tax, but revenge spot at home, um, you know, slowing down trace Jackson Davis is, is always a, a worry when you bet against, uh, when you bet against the Hoosiers, but I, I'm going to be on Sparty here.
2: Well, when you look at Indiana, you know, I talked about Miami as a team that people kind of looked at with some home road splits and kind of held it against them. Indiana has very pronounced home road splits. In conference play, in their eight home games, they're 7-1. and one. The only loss is by a point to Northwestern in an 84-83 game. Indiana in home Big Ten games is shooting 45.4% from three. In their eight road games in conference play, they're 12th in the conference in offensive efficiency. They're shooting 31.4% from three. They're shooting under 50% on twos. This has been a massive home-road dichotomy for Indiana here. And I think that's why one of the reasons why you see Michigan State laying the three that's pretty much predominant out there market-wide. Because Indiana is just not the same team on the road that they are at home. And And I won't pretend to try and understand what the atmosphere will be like, what the situation yeah. will feel like there in East Lansing. But I think you just look at what Indiana's done on the road in conference play, and it's very unimpressive, especially compared to at home. And they've had some close wins at home, too. I, this is probably a situation where Michigan State is the side. I won't be playing it, but if I had to play something in this game, it would be to take a look at Sparty.
3: As for uh, Iowa State and Texas, um, you've got Texas laying seven and a half at home against Iowa State. Um, yeah, not not. I'm not one to be uh to be laying that type of number here. Iowa State, um, seems like starting to run out a little bit of gas now. Last Wednesday they got the win over TCU. Granted, that was a a Mike Milesless TCU team. Um, you know, on the road they have lost now. Uh, let's see. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six in a row. Uh, so a tricky spot here. We'll see if Iowa state maybe get the best of them against uh, Texas, a Texas team that they beat by double digits. So another uh, revenge spot buzzword keyword today uh, and uh, Texas coming off of a, a scare, right? You know, double digit favorite against Oklahoma needed overtime. They get it. Uh, so uh, seven and a half, a decent sized number here for uh, for the longhorns to be laying against Iowa state.
2: Yeah, this is another one where, again, I think the problem is Iowa State is a team that forces a lot of turnovers. They're second in the country in turnover percentage on defense, but Texas is a top 25 team in turnover percentage, and they take better care of the basketball, and that's what you're oftentimes going to see in these games where you see these bigger spreads, the idea that Texas will end up with more possessions because they're going to be the team that forces more turnovers. They're going to be the team that takes better care of the basketball, and so as a result, with an offense that's top 30 in two-point percentage, the idea would be that they could win this game by margin, assuming that things kind of play out to their statistical expectation. The other thing I think is kind of intriguing here is the pace war. Iowa State's 313th in adjusted tempo, according to Torvik. Texas is 94th. So if Texas is getting those turnovers, they can run the floor. They can make Iowa State kind of you know have to go up and down with them. And as you said, it feels like the Cyclones maybe running out of gas a little bit here. They're not the deepest of teams. They're very senior heavy up top that a lot of those guys kind of play a lot of minutes. They don't really have much of a bench. So this kind of quick turn in conference play, I think is something that's a little bit worrisome for them.
3: All right, let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, Big card on Tuesday. Once again, we'll be back Wednesday night. Uh, Myself and Matt humans taking a look at the Thursday card Um, right now. I, I'm going to be on Virginia Tech, probably waiting for a money line price. Uh, and then I like Michigan State. So, yes, I'm, I'm following the trend, but both are also revenge spots, both being at home. Um, so I'm going I'm to take both of them. I like a and I haven't decided to pull the trigger yet, so uh, that could be something I, I could ultimately uh, be adding. But a couple Mac games that uh, intrigue you on, uh, on Wednesday, or excuse me, Tuesday, Adam. So uh, take it away for some action.
2: Yeah, so two of the best teams in the MAC are going head-to-head here on Tuesday night, Toledo and Akron. And this one will be played uh, up in Northwest Ohio at Toledo. Toledo's playing four, four four-and-a-half out there, depending on where you look, total up around 150. So the expectation for a high-scoring game here, which I think is intriguing for a couple of reasons. One is Akron is one of the 50 slowest teams in the country in terms of tempo. you got a total here of 150, basically where Akron doesn't really run the floor, but Toledo is that bad defensively that there's a thought that Akron's going to be able to hang around in this game. But Toledo's a top 15 team in offensive efficiency. They're a top 15 team in effective field goal percentage offense. They shoot the three at almost 39%. There's a lot to like about this Toledo team, I think. And I tend to agree with where this line is going here because even though these two teams you know look pretty similar from a record standpoint, If Toledo is scoring, it's hard for Akron to keep pace. They get to the rim in a pretty average amount, but they take a bunch of threes. They'll have to knock those down on the road. So I lean Toledo a little bit in that one. And the other one, the conference's top team, Kent State, is actually on the road in Muncie against Ball State. They're laying three and a half. Um, Ball State is a pretty balanced team. Kent State generally wins with defense, but Ball State can beat you on both ends of the floor. I think I kind of like Ball State getting points here at home in this game where Kent State probably is the class of the conference, but Ball State at home shooting almost 38% from three against a Kent State defense that forces you to take threes. I I think I'll be on Ball State here getting the points when I write the morning article up.
3: So one last one I do want to mention in the Atlantic 10 Richmond is hosting St. Louis on Tuesday night. Uh, 7 o'clock tip, 619-620 rotation number. It's a pick consensus right now, and the reason we wanted to bring this game up, it's been a not a great year for Richmond. Richmond was a senior-laden team last year, made the run to the NCAA tournament by winning the A 10 tournament, won a game, and then ultimately bowed out uh, against Providence, I think by... 28 or something like that because i had richmond in that game catching four uh that did not work out all that well but chris mooney uh the head coach of richmond uh it was announced over the weekend Uh, he's going to be out for the season he's undergoing heart surgery and uh, this will be the first game that richmond will be playing without their head coach and it's a it's a tough task right you're taking on st louis who right now is tied for second in the conference uh they're a pretty darn good team uh, adjusted offense efficiency uh, efficiency second uh in in the nation um or excuse me 72nd in the nation not second in the nation uh second in the conference so this is uh this is quite the the spot here um and and I do wonder you know I I I, I like to find situational spots right Adam I I don't know you know usually you could see a team rally um you know Richmond has it's been a it's been a really tough year, right? They're 13 and 14. They're six and eight in conference play. Uh, I think they've lost, I want to say, that six of their last eight games. They did have a home win against Fordham, which is which is a pretty good win uh, this year. You know, is this a spot to maybe look at the Spiders as kind of an emotionally charged type of situation? Well, the emotion will definitely be on Richmond's side.
2: The problem is they're just not the better team. Yeah. in this game, and, and this is a this is effectively a coin flip game. You got to pick them pretty much across the market as we're recording here. I just think St. Louis is is definitely a better team. Richmond doesn't get to the rim. It's 10 percent more of St. Louis's shots are close twos, so they should get to the rim in this game more frequently. Richmond just they take a lot of threes. They force a lot of threes. Their games can be pretty high variance. They're a very bad offensive rebounding team. So a lot of one and dones in terms of their possessions. And St. Louis has Travis Ford who's a pretty good head coach. I mean, I know that, you know, when he was at Oklahoma State, he had some good teams, but he struggled in the tournament, had some, you know, three straight years with one and duns in the in the mid 2010s. But I think he's a pretty decent coach. And and for Richmond, you know, look, I mean, at this point, you know, you're a 500 team, you got a losing record in conference play. You just start thinking ahead of the conference tournament. You just start thinking ahead to trying to get hot for a week. And, and see if you can kind of replicate what you did last year where they were a better team, but they won four games in four days in that conference tournament to win the A-10. That's kind of what you hang your hat on now, I think. So to me, I sort of think that it's kind of more looking ahead for Richmond of, hey, coach isn't here. Let's try to get this thing figured out so that when we get to the conference tournament, we can take our shot then. So I, I think St. Louis is the side here in this game uh, in that pick 'em coin flip scenario.
3: All right, one final one, Mountain West. Not the late-night extravaganza. San Diego State's the late-night one. They're, uh, they're laying 11.5. Nevada's also laying a pretty big number. Uh, San Diego State's playing Colorado State. Nevada's playing San Jose State. Um, San Jose State coming off of uh, uh, a tough one at home on Friday night, uh, which another one where I, I stayed off. I was, I was happy with myself, Adam. I, I stayed off the San Jose State game, and New Mexico went in there and absolutely pummeled pummeled san jose state jalen house returned wasn't all that effective but it didn't really matter as uh, new mexico state or new mexico excuse me got a a good win but one that uh intrigues you a little bit lower down in the standings fresno state losers of three in a row going to air force air force coming off a win over wyoming and uh, air force laying points which is uh pretty rare in the mountain west yeah air force
2: laying a deuce here total in this game is only 125 you've got Two of the 30 slowest, two of the 25 slowest teams in the country here. Uh, Fresno State's really, really bad offensively this year. They are extremely bad. Air Force has some good offensive numbers, but part of that is because they played a really terrible non-conference schedule. So when you look at them in terms of Mountain West play, you know, they're really not that good of an offensive team here. So that's a little bit concerning because, again, they're just kind of living off of what they did playing like a 330-something ranked schedule uh, in terms of the non-conference slate. As crazy as it is to say, 125 might be a little bit high here. I mean, (laughs) you got a Fresno State team that never gets to the line. They are 339th in the country in free throw rate. Neither one of these teams pulls down offensive rebounds. Uh, I just don't really see a whole lot of points being scored in this game. I don't like to take low unders because you can get, you know, free throws at the end of the game if it's close and this game does kind of fall under that criteria with Air Force being a, just a 2 point favorite, but it, we've seen a lot of runs on overs lately. You know, overs, I think it was like a week or two ago were like 60 plus percent. Just a ton of games with a ton of points. I wonder if maybe the market is a little bit too high on the total for this game. Where I mean, I see Torvik's got at 62.59, so that's 121, about four points below the market number. It's a very unpalatable bet to make, but I think under
3: 125 might be the play here in this game. Uh, nothing gets the juices going like playing an under, in Fresno State and Air Force. Uh, leave it to a, uh, leave it to Adam Burke to uh, to take that. Uh, make sure each and every day Adam is uh, writing articles on uh, Veasan.com. So make sure to check that out. He's uh, helping me out this week. He's filling in on my show, Veasan Prime Time, with uh, with the Burke Bros. Uh, he and Danny Burke, uh, doing uh, doing the good stuff there on Veasan Prime Time. I'm doing some Follow the Money, uh, all week long. Uh, Adam, appreciate it as always, man. Uh, let's get ourselves some winners. And uh, Matt, uh, Matt Humans, and I will be back on uh, late Wednesday night into this feed, and then of course we'll have another episode. Uh, late Friday night, early Saturday morning, in this feed, when Matt Newmans goes over all the plays in his uh, circa college basketball contest. Adam, great stuff as always, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Go get some sleep, dude. Yeah, I don't know how you're doing the four a.m. thing. Yeah, we got to get up. Got to get some uh, get some coffee into the veins. Hey, you know what would really help us out? Please subscribe. Tell a friend too. The college basketball podcast is uh, betting podcast is here, and uh, we'll be with you up and through the NCAA tournament. We'll talk to you later this week right here on the Sin College Basketball Betting Podcast.